Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Adam Sparks. He covers Vanderbilt for the Tennessean here in Nashville. He clarifies Tim Corbin's COVID doesn't exist in Knoxville quote that had people questioning Adam's tweet from every which direction. Well, it turns out it was a shot at Nashville's Mayor Cooper. We also recap the Vandy Boys series win in Knoxville and get Adam's thoughts on the spring game as well as Coach Stackhouse's recent transfers. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report. It is episode 80, another milestone here for TDR. It is April 20th, 2021. Welcome back. We are, as always, presented by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Will, we had quite the weekend. Um, I, none of We were not there in Knoxville. I think we would have we given up a lot to go, uh, but tickets were upwards of $300. So uh, we decided to, to stay where we were. But the Vandy boys got a huge series win over Tennessee, 2-1. to one. They won Friday and Sunday. And we'll talk a lot about that. We'll dive into Jared Stillman's uh, comments. He basically said, Van, well, he asked the question. He said, does Vanderbilt baseball need Tennessee to be good. I don't even know what that even means, but we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that. Uh, Tim Corbin also had some interesting comments after the game. Uh, we will touch on those. Jerry Stackhouse has added a couple more transfers. Rodney Chapman from Dayton and Taryn Frank from TCU, a player he recruited a couple of years ago. We'll dive into that. And we'll also touch on the spring game. Uh, Vanderbilt won, uh, so that's good, but the defense uh, definitely needs a little bit of work. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. Will uh, was not there, but he will give us another uh, inside analysis on that. Adam Sparks will also join the podcast a little bit later. But before we get to breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. While you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. It's now time for breaking news. Today's breaking news is brought to you by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers Graydon and Chapman and their dad. Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter living in West Mead. The Recycling Dudes recognize the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. All right, well, Vandy boys dominate. Well, they, they beat. They beat Tennessee. They dominated Friday, dominated Sunday, but Saturday the Vols got them. Evan Russell, three home runs. Um, 
And will before I kind of dive in, what what you watched? I know you watched a lot of it. Um, what did you What did you learn from the team? I mean, the, Tennessee that's the best atmosphere they played in all year, uh, and credit to their fans. Uh, but but what what would you say you came out of this weekend learning about this team? So, as as perspective on on what my opinion is going to be, I watched the entire every single pitch Friday night. Same. I kept up with it on my phone Saturday, but didn't actually get to view any of it. And then Sunday, I actually got to watch the last five-ish innings of the game and kept up with it on my phone before then. So my opinions, I saw the really good parts um, <laughs> for the most part. But it it seems, and we talked about it with Adam, that a lot of the issues that you come out of this series saying that Vanderbilt has are the same ones that we knew going in. Yeah. And it, he hit on hit the nail on the head where he said, if, you, if you're doing 99 things out of 100 things well, it's human nature to try to point out that one thing you're not doing well. Uh-huh. I think that's, that's you know, one of the costs of being, uh, you know, probably the premier baseball college baseball program in the country is even when you're the number two team in the country, you just uh, won a series against your in-state rival, the number five team in the country. You still leave that series because you dropped a Saturday game and say, well, what's wrong with this team? So <laughs> I, I think the bats are a little bit better than than I thought they were going to perform in that environment. I don't know how much of that had to do with the wind blowing out. Um, yeah, of, and it's a lot shorter. It's, it's 320 and left and right. So it's, Yeah, there were a lot of balls that, Van, that Vanderbilt hit that I didn't think were going to be home runs. And they just kept going. Yeah, yeah and, and same way with Evan Russell on, on Saturday. So I think obviously we know Kumar Rocker's a stud. Um, that Georgia game was Sorry. an aberration. We knew that going in. Um, Jack Leiter ran to a, a white hot Evan Russell. I mean, he oh single-handedly pretty much won, won that game. And then they were able to close it out Sunday. So they went into a raucous environment, um, a hostile environment for really the first time this year. I don't think we've really seen a lot of those hostile mm-hmm. road environments. So, and and came out with a victory. Um, that's a positive for me. And and I don't really have negative things to say coming out of the series. Uh, me neither. And and I think you were touched on the the like boredom factor a little bit of, of being a great team. I don't think Vanderbilt fans are ever going to get bored of Vanderbilt baseball Never. being at the top. Like I think Alabama football, you might be able to say that about them right now. But Vanderbilt is. I think they're just different in that regard. But kind of diving in, Will, you touched on Kumar a little bit. Tennessee, unfortunately, they got angry Kumar. Uh, he pitched a lot of energy and emotion. He he loves playing in those atmospheres. He really does. He 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 takes it as a challenge. And and when when he's being heckled, he really does a good job of harnessing that energy and and putting it on the mound and and, and strike and striking guys out left and right. Uh, he, he had seven innings, two hits, no runs, one walk, and eight strikeouts. Uh, so that that says a lot about what how he did Friday. Uh, and, Will, the, the story Friday was timely hitting and, and great defense. That That's kind of the, the calling card of this Vanderbilt team. And, Will, you touched on it. Game two Saturday was – was really all Tennessee. I mean, uh, C.J. Rodriguez did hit a bomb. Jason Gonzalez hit one. But that was essentially it. Uh, Jack Leiter got roughed up a little bit. He gave up three home runs, which was stunning. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I was really surprised. Yeah, he'd uh, only but, given up 13 hits through 39 innings of pitching uh, yeah, before and, that game. So, And the way they were hitting his fastball, they were just sitting dead red on the fastball. And I think Leiter might have gotten a little bit too confident and just thrown it and not really caring – um, you know where it is so um, two of them two of his home runs were from Evan Russell who hit the go-ahead grand slam to light Lindsey Nelson on fire uh, and that place again we'll touch we'll touch on the atmosphere but it was un- incredible um, he did settle down though after three home runs uh, his final stat line six and a third 
four hits, three runs, three walks, and 10 strikeouts. Jack Bolger, uh, he was. It's, it's also amazing, awarded. Billy. Before you keep moving on, that, <laughs> that we're all talking about the disappointing performance when you read off his actual stat line. Um, that you know he just wasn't yeah. as good as as we'd hoped he would be. And you read off that stat line, you're like, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> it's not bad. I mean, four yeah. <laughs> like six and a third. Six and a third isn't a like he's he's been pitching complete games, no mm-hmm. hitters, and and all this. But six and a third, uh, Corbs. You know, he, he it was time. I think he got a little tired at the end, but ten strikeouts. Mm-hmm. I mean, to settle down after Against that, the number five team in the country as well. Yeah, we, yeah. we keep kind of glazing over that. I mean, yeah. this isn't just some some middle-of-the-pack SEC. Oh, I guess it is a middle-of-the-pack SEC team. <laughs> in this this not, year, yeah. Yeah, not some middle-of-the-pack uh, college baseball team in general. No, Tennessee is a really damn good team, and, and they showed it this weekend. Uh, but game three, Will, Sunday, I, I watched a lot of this one as well. Dom Keegan at the top of the first went yard, uh, and he kind of set the tone with a nice bat flip towards Tennessee's dugout. And this is where the emotion started really coming alive for Vandy. And Adam talked about it a little bit, but they typically are, are a little bit more stoic and, and aren't like the, you know, a lot of the other SEC teams, but they showed emotion Sunday and Parker Nolan. This was my fate, maybe my favorite moment of the weekend. Parker Nolan, the Knoxville kid went to Farragut. He turned down Tennessee to go to Vandy in Nashville and he hit an absolute moonshot to dead mm-hmm. center off the batter's eye. And he let his emotion out after stomping off the plate on the plate like the like the Vandy boys do. He had himself a day and and he crushed that one to dead center. And you can tell that game was personal for him. Uh, I think on Instagram, I don't know if you follow him, Will, but he said uh, he posted a, a few pictures and, and the caption was, honey, I'm home. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh, what a what, what a guy. And, and what what a day uh, he had Sunday. And Patrick Riley on the mound pitched really well. Uh, his fastball was a lot more effective. And will Chris McIlvain, the young kid, he actually went to Summit High School uh, here in Tennessee, uh, but he pitched amazing. He came in relief, pitched well, uh, had great stuff. But I don't know if you caught this, Will. Sunday in the eighth inning, Evan Russell's coming up. He's probably the third or fourth hitter in this inning. And Corbs looks at it and goes, okay, we cannot let Russell – we can't let guys get on, and we can't let Russell beat us again. Here's what he does. He played the matchup game to disrupt uh, Evan Russell's rhythm, and it worked. I mean, it worked to perfection. Mm-hmm. He used Christian Little first to start the inning, a right-hander, and then he put Hunter Owen in, a young left-hander, and they retired two out. There's two outs. Now comes Evan Russell, and Nick Maldonado uh, comes in. So three guys. Corbs uses three guys, and you you could just tell the Tennessee dugout, the fans were were sick of it. I mean, they hated it. But Corbs did what he had to do to get the white hot uh, Evan Russell retired, and that's what makes him so good. So I don't know if you caught that, Will, but it was it was it really kind of beautiful to watch. Like, yeah, like, and and you ask what what my takeaways were, and I think that in general the the biggest issue with this Vanderbilt team, and like I said, I want to put issue in quotation marks, is that bullpen. Um, I I know they have some arms. Yeah, they're are, so they're banged up right now. But but Maldonado was was phenomenal in my in my opinion. He's been really really good all year. I don't know if he's a guy that that you would consider the lockdown closer like they've had in years past. Yeah. Uh, what this team's really missing is a Tyler Brown or a Carson Fulmer. I was just about um, to if say you that. added if you added a guy like that to this pitching staff, you would be looking at it and saying this is a really really complete team that that I don't see anyone having a chance at knocking off. You already can kind of say that just with the first two guys they roll out. Um, on Friday and Saturday, but they, they are beatable. If you added in a yeah. lockdown closure that you say, if you hit the eighth inning, ninth inning, and you have a lead, those guys are going to come in, and, and there's almost no chance of that opponent coming back. 
I think that's what this team is missing because right now it's really a group group effort, even with how well Maldonado um, has performed this year and did perform in this series. So that'll be something that we need to keep an eye on moving forward and see if Corbin shifts to more of going towards a single guy as a closer. And, and at this point in the season, I don't know if that's really going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think SEC teams realize that this Vanderbilt team has great starting pitching, but if they can get to the bullpen, like you said, Will, they are a beatable team. And that mm-hmm. they showed it on Saturday. Leiter, uh, you know, we say he struggled a little bit. He really settled down after um, giving up a few bombs. But it was really Evan Russell that, that was haunting him. Uh, and Corbin did a great job, game three, of just shutting him down. Uh, again, sticking with baseball here, Will. Uh, again, Vanderbilt won, obviously, two to one. But <clears throat> yesterday uh, in local Nashville sports talk radio, Jared Stillman, I'm sure a lot of Vanderbilt fans are familiar with him, and he's just all over the place with his takes. This guy's known for his outrageous uh, sports takes, not only locally but nationally as well. Um, But, well, I'm just going to give you the floor. Um, You know, we saw this on Twitter, but he basically asked the question, does Vanderbilt need Tennessee baseball to be good? I, I, I don't even know what he was trying to ask. To be good, for what reason? Like, what, Vanderbilt is a premier program. I, I, don't, I don't even know what, what he was going for there. Yeah, Billy, I hate even putting this as a topic that we're discussing because it gives the exact attention he's wanting. It gives him, yeah, this, this is what he wants. Yeah, without mincing words, this horrible, horrible, shitty take that he knows isn't true. He, he knows that he's just trying to get a rise out of Vanderbilt fans. And if he doesn't know that it's not true and he doesn't know that asking this question is simply absurd, then he's even dumber than I think he is. So when you I rarely get triggered by people's takes that are like this because they're hot takes that are intentionally trying to get opposing fan bases riled up. And the exact question you just read it off. Vanderbilt's a juggernaut. I mean, they, they are a, a social like, media juggernaut. They're a national news juggernaut. They've won national championships in 2014, 2019. Likely would have won it last year with the best team in college baseball. And Skull Sparks says something really interesting that I always like to keep an eye on. As teams move towards social media facing more and more and more, they track interactions across Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and do rankings based on the amount of interactions that these teams receive. Well, Vanderbilt baseball is number one in all of college baseball with 3.3 million interactions in 2020. Just for context, number two is LSU with 1.6 million. So Vanderbilt is over two times as interacted with on social media as the number two team. And to put it even in even more context (laughs) is everyone talks about that. Nobody cares about college baseball. College football is king. And I agree with that. It it is king in the the SEC in the South specifically, but all across the country. Vanderbilt baseball, if you put their social media interactions into the FBS football rankings from 2020, would be ranked 23rd. So just just think about that. They would still be in the top 25 of all of college football FBS programs Mm -hmm. um, in social media interactions. So no. They do not need Van- or, or Tennessee baseball to be good for them to be relevant or them to be successful whatsoever. Tennessee baseball needs Vanderbilt to be good, exactly. to be relevant, because they bring national attention to the state of Tennessee. And that's, that's why there was, there was so much hype over this game this past weekend. It and was I, Vanderbilt. I, it's not I, about Tennessee. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's absolutely hilarious how a lot of, um, you know, some local media members, but even, even you know, some of these national guys that – because Tennessee is now good at baseball, college baseball matters. I mean, yeah. I, I think that it's get, starting to get into a lot of Tennessee fans' heads because 
few years ago, they were sitting here saying, oh, we hate college baseball. It, it, nobody cares about nobody it. It's the, cares. Same, it's the nobody, same thing that happens nobody, with the basketball program when yeah. Vanderbilt's good and they're, and they're irrelevant. Yeah, they, and they uh, say, nobody cares about college basketball. Ain't nobody cares about college baseball. 10. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't <laughs> care about no college baseball. But, I yeah, mean, we don't care about no college baseball right Yeah, here. but the thing is, Vanderbilt has been good for how long, Will? I mean, they've since 2005, 04, since yeah. Corbin got there. <laughs> now we're asking the question – do they need Tennessee? It's it's just blasphemous, and and you know we. we I think just... my before we move on, I think my favorite quote from him. I clicked into his live Periscope, and he said he knows what moves the needle. He said, I know what moves the needle. No, you don't. And I wanted to say, no, do you, you know what moves the needle? He said he could take vacation during the College World Series, and Vanderbilt's there. And I wanted, I uh... I've never wanted to call into a radio show. I wanted to call in and say, why do you think that when Vanderbilt's in the College World Series, you can take vacation? It's because <laughs> no Vanderbilt fans want to listen to your radio show that gets almost no interactions on social media because you have these kind of takes. Of course, we're not going to come to your show, whatever the hell it's called, because you have awful takes and have no I idea it's what's going Jared, on and are Jared completely Stillman, out of touch. Jared Stillman yeah. and company. And, and, Sorry, we got to uh, move on before yeah, I get too we, we far gotta, we We'd gotta, like to have him on to discuss that take, by the way. Jared, if you do listen to this, we'd absolutely love to have you on to interview. We'll get him a good tag and, and yes, DM, <laughs> DM him on Instagram. But let's roll on here. Um, well, Coach Corbin, real quick, he had some interesting comments, and and I I don't think they prompted the move to forty percent this weekend at Hawkins Field, um, but it, it definitely seemed to have started of kick sort of kick started uh, this action from Candace Lee. Uh, he Tommy McClelland uh, tweeted out a guy we had on the podcast. He said increase capacity forty percent at the Hawk beginning tonight against Austin P, and that'll roll on against Mississippi State this weekend. Um, well, bottom line in this is the best baseball team in America deserves to be playing in a full stadium. That I mean, whatever full means. I mean, Mississippi State's playing in front of packed stadium. They had 35,000 fans over this past weekend against Ole Miss. The Tennessee atmosphere was amazing. And, and Corbin, he wants his teams to be playing in front of packed stadiums every week because I know he touched on this is Jack Leiter's last year as a college pitcher, Kumar Rocker's last year, and a lot of these other guys. Fans want to see these guys play, uh, even if they're not a Vandy fan, Nashville natives. So 40% is a huge move. Um, and the tweet from Sparks was just, you know, it was the way it was taken was 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 crazy. And we actually ta- touched on it a little bit. But, uh, Will, definitely good news that that uh, it's opened it up a little bit more this weekend. Yeah, it, it's funny because you had different sides, whatever political leanings you have, perspectives on this reopening is how you took Corbett's comments. You had people taking yeah. it as, he was calling Knoxville fan, Knoxville stupid because, you know, they were not social distancing, not whatever. Then you had the other side that took it, and we touched on it with Adam that said, look, Corbin says open it up. I should open it up. <laughs> um, but I think that Corbin just touched on what Vander, a, a majority, 80 90%, not all of them feel, is that this is ridiculous. And Vanderbilt's hamstrung by the, you know, the government um, of Davidson County and, and their health board and decisions they make. So it's not really on Vanderbilt. But I've been very lenient and not really lambasting the university too much for the lack of capacity. But as of right now, with the vaccine rolling out how it has, and I was down on Broadway a couple weekends ago, and you walk around there, there, they are open till 3 a.m. There are no masks. There is no social distancing. They're at full capacity, pretty much. Lines, it looks like a normal that you would never know COVID-19 was going on. And that's like less than a mile away from Vanderbilt's campus. 
So what are we doing social distancing masks in pods, 40% capacity on a Friday night baseball game? I can walk down to the bar and go sit in a crowded bar with no masks with thousands mm. of people traveling in from out of state. It makes no sense. It's kind of like the whole response to COVID in general. It has to be one thing or the other. You can't have outdoor baseball with over a 99.9% lack of transmission rate. And that's where we're going to have 40% social dis uh, capacity with social distancing. Bars indoors where we know the virus can transmit and you're open until 3 a.m. with nearly can't have everything. Capacity. We won't get too much into that, but Corbin kind of just touched on what we're all feeling. We want to see these guys play. Um, we want to see Lighter. We want to see Rocker. We want to see the number one and number two drafts yeah. in the or picks in the MLB draft. So hopefully we'll be able to do that before season end. Yeah, tonight it'll start. Austin P comes to the Hawk. Uh, we'll see what kind of a crowd they have, but it's going to be fun this weekend against Mississippi State. Again, it's another huge series. Top three matchup. I mean, Vanderbilt's mm -hmm. at two. Mississippi State, I think, is at three. Uh, so, again, again, that'll be a couple nationally televised games. We'll touch on that a little bit later in the week. Uh, but, Will, let's let's uh, re real quick here. Jerry Stackhouse snags a couple more recruits. Rodney Chapman from Dayton. Uh, a combo guard, and then Taryn Frank, a six foot eight uh, forward who's a good shooter uh, from TCU. He averaged two points a game. Chapman will, he was a two year starter at Dayton. He was a part of that really good team with Obi Toppin. Uh, and they, you know, they un unfortunately didn't get to play in the, in the tournament because of COVID, but um, they finished as a top five team. So he was a big part of that. Uh, he's not a huge scorer. He, he's not necessarily a bucket getter. He averaged eight points a game, uh, but he has a great reputation as a really good defender uh, on the perimeter. And, and that's what Stackhouse likes. And, and uh, Adam touched on a little bit with the defensive mentality. Uh, he had two steals a game, uh, you know, last season. So we'll see how he mixes in. He, you know, I think a lot of people are the, of the opinion that if, if Pippen leaves, Chapman's the guy. But if, if Pippen stays, they'll be a great duo uh, together. And then will Taryn Frank, uh, he was recruited out of high school uh, by Stack. He chose TCU over USC, Arizona, and Vanderbilt. Uh, but he played with Scottie Pippen Jr. in high school at Sierra Canyon. Uh, so maybe that factors in. Maybe Taryn's coming because Scottie might be staying. Is that uh, out of the question? Uh, who knows? But, uh, Will, these are two, again, depth. This is depth. Who knows how much of an impact they'll make, but it's depth. Yeah, these aren't as exciting as the Liam Robbins transfers. Um, I think Taron Frank's probably more of a project. He didn't play much for TCU. Um, and, and I think he averaged, you have listed on here, I think it was two points per game. Yeah. So he's not going to be an immediate impact guy. Uh, Chapman is a little more going to be immediate impact, but he's not exactly going to be somebody that's going to light it up on the offensive side of the ball in general. So these guys are depth, like you said, something Vanderbilt has severely lacked uh, under Stackhouse since he's been there in the last uh, two years of Bryce Drew, really outside of his yeah. first season because of injuries. So it's something interesting to keep an eye on, and I want to give credit to Jacob Scholl because um, he was on it way before anyone else talking about it. But I've seen multiple people tweet about it now, the Sierra Canyon um, yeah. pipeline to Vanderbilt, because keep in mind Scottie Pippen from there um Kenyon Martin Jr. was also supposed to be oh, um, what, what he was committed been? to Vanderbilt and ended up playing professionally um and foregoing his college eligibility and now you've got Taryn Frank so that's three guys from the same school um in, in that one class and keep in mind who's there right now which is Zaire Wade and uh -huh. Bronny James um I'm not <laughs> saying that those guys are going to come to Vanderbilt but that could be something to keep an eye on as maybe a dark horse in the running because we know <laughs> Um, that these guys that are that are former NBA or current NBA athletes slash former NBA athletes 
with kids that are currently being recruited at, at a high level leading into college basketball have respect for Stackhouse. So what you're um, saying? And are likely in the in the era in the in, in the ear of their kids saying maybe you should take a look at Vanderbilt. This guy knows what he's doing. Um, so. <laughs> That'll be something that I'm that, that that's a pipe dream. Um, but Jacob, Stoll, uh, one of our writers, got it stuck in my head, and now I can't get it out of my head. So, so I'm really hoping hey, and praying. So what you're saying is we could see Scottie Pippen, Jerry Stackhouse, and Dwayne Wade all inside Memorial Gym next year. Is, is that uh, not saying? next year. Um, it'll it would be oh, out, two, years, but, two years. Yeah, but the the funny part is, so if this is obviously not Bronny James, happen, there is a pretty fast and <laughs> yeah, Bronny James. That would be that would be the big one because I think Zaire Wade's actually a three star recruit. Bronny James is a five star, so that would be a heck of a land. But there's actually a documentary on IMDb TV, their streaming app about Sierra Canyon. It's kind of a last chance you style documentary. Ah. Um, and it starts with this most recent COVID season with Bronny James and Zaire. So it doesn't have Pippen, Kenyon Martin Jr. Um, and Taryn Frank, but it makes references to those guys going back to last year. So that's something interesting that's a little plug here um, for basketball fans in general that, that you can see inside that program that's now produced two, almost three Vanderbilt uh, basketball players. Yeah, so we'll see. Sierra Canyon, uh, they could be moving some more guys into Vanderbilt. They got Taryn Frank and maybe Scottie Pippen will be turning. Will, real quick here, I know you have a ton on the spring game, uh, but before we get to Adam Sparks, real quick here, um, obviously the defense struggled. We, we know that. We've heard it. Clark Lee admitted it. They, they struggled. Uh, but the scrimmage, they they looked really good. <laughs> I mean, so it was kind of confusing uh, to, to watch that in the spring game. I think you take a, a little bit of this offense is really damn good, I think, and I think they can be good. Uh, but obviously the defense struggled. Um, and so we'll focus on, you know, the defense, obviously. What, what did you see uh, from the spring game on Saturday? Here's what I saw is if you watched the scrimmage last Friday night, you would say the offense is horrendous. We're going to score almost no points and this defense is going to be dominant. The offense was being set up in positions to score um, in situations that were beneficial to them starting inside the 20, 30, 40. Um, and the defense was phenomenal. You watch that spring game, you could not see more of an opposite story. It looked like the offense was clicking on all cylinders and the defense couldn't stop anybody. I, I will say that watching that spring game Saturday, it's a little less concerning to me about the defense. I'm not, I was, I didn't have expectations of them being even a top 10 defense in the SEC to begin the year. So even after watching them dominate, so I don't think anybody had those expectations, but it didn't look like those guys were out of position for the most part. Um, it looked there were a couple guys uh, that that got beat for deep routes. There were there were quite a few plays that the the receiver went up on top of the corner who didn't get his head around. But in general, they were in the right spot and they were playing a lot of young guys that probably aren't going to be seeing the field very often. And honestly, the most impressive part of the entire the entire scrimmage was the offensive line and in general the quarterback play between all three guys. I mean, Musa, Wright, Moose. and Seals were all damn good. And right, oh goodness, he took what I think, I think it was a 65-yard touchdown up the sideline, and you saw some of that straight record 200-meter speed. Yeah, he, was moving. he left corners and safeties and everyone in the dust. So it it's kind of hard to tell as well, because when you watch the spring game, there's always, somebody's always going to look bad. The def, If the offense looks good, then the defense looks bad. If yeah, the defense yeah. looks good, then the offense looks bad. So if you have one side win, the other side's going to lose. And ultimately, depending on your perspective, you can either say it's both good or bad. Both sides cannot win. Yeah, both sides can't win. So 
I think that the biggest thing that people are going to take away from this is, wow, Mike Wright was really impressive. Is there a quarterback battle brewing? I don't see that happening whatsoever. And there's multiple reasons why I think this defense looked worse than it otherwise would. So there were multiple of those touchdown throws that there was pressure on the quarterback. The quarterbacks obviously know the defensive lineman can't hit them. Yeah. Um, they, yeah. So they have no pressure. They can stand in that pocket. The defensive line kind of has to take it a little bit easy because they can't hit the guys. And they ran a lot of read option stuff with the quarterback keeping the ball. And there, when there's not a threat of the guy being able to streak in and hit the quarterback and the defender has to lay off a little bit, those right. read options sure do look a lot better. <laughs> so I, I would say to take it with a grain of salt, I don't think you'll be seeing this offense be putting up 40 points in any game this season, maybe outside of ETSU and UConn. And that would even be, you know, beyond my wildest expectations. So I, I don't take too much from any of this, whether it's individual player performances I like to look at more position groups and see how those entire positions groups performed. And right now I've got a lot of hope in this receiving core and a lot of hope in this offensive line and quarterback play. Yeah, Will Shepard, stud. Uh, we, we already know Chris Pierce is a stud, but Will Shepard is going to have a role this year. Amir Abdurrahman made a, made a couple catches overshadowed by Shepard as well on, on the yeah. sideline there. Yeah, but Shep, I mean, he can't. He's he was long. Awesome. He got. He seems like he's gotten bigger too. And, and mm -hmm. the way Jordan Matthews is working with those receivers, that's going to be a big-time group. Uh, Ray Dave, Ramon Davis, uh, I know we tweeted, can we call you Ray? He said, call me, call me brother because you're family. Uh, <laughs> So uh, we're family uh, with, with Ray, Ramon Davis. Yeah, if, if before we get into, if you want to see, it's on Hulu, I believe you can go back and watch the watch where it aired. If you want to see why I said that Ramon Davis is the best back in this backfield, go to about the 9, 9, 10 mark of that mm -hmm. second quarter, and he hits about an 8 to 10 yard run where he waits patiently and waits and gets skinny through the gap of the offensive line, bowls over a defender and falls forward for 8 to 10. Next play, he breaks a 50-yard touchdown run, once again being patient for the hole, gets to the sideline and explodes and leaves everyone in the dust. So yeah. that is the flash that I said. He reminds me of Keyshawn Vaughn in the way with his explosiveness, and he reminds me of Zach Stacy with his patience and hitting the hole aggressively. Not to the extent yet of how great those guys were at those things, but he's got that potential, and I think his ceiling is just higher than Griffin or Marlowe. Not taking anything away from those guys, they looked pretty good too. Yeah, now 23 carries, 130 yards. <laughs> Not bad for a spring game for mm -hmm. uh, Ramon Davis. All right, well, Adam Sparks coming up. Uh, we dove into everything Vanderbilt Athletics. This is a whole podcast, kind of a deep dive yeah. uh, into Vanderbilt Athletics. But uh, we talked a lot about Corbin's comments and, uh, you know, his tweet and, and how it was kind of taken in different ways. Uh, it was fun to catch up, though, uh, with Adam, Will. Yeah, it was a really good conversation. He gave us some good insight into into the game against or into the series against Tennessee. We talked about that for a while. We talked about his article um, that blew up, I think, beyond what he expected that he wrote <laughs> about Corbin's comment. And then we got in a little bit into the spring game and a little bit um, in, into what to expect and, and what his concerns are regarding the team moving forward. So it, it's a good listen, and it's always great to catch up with Adam, who, who's a great writer at the Tennessee no doubt about it. Adam Sparks coming right up, covers Vanderbilt for the Tennessee, and we talk all things Vanderbilt athletics. We got Adam Sparks coming right up here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors craftsmanship you can stand on.
Welcome back into the Door Report. Alongside Will Byram, I'm Billy Derrick, and we are now happy to, uh, to re- reunite with Adam Sparks. He covers Vanderbilt for the Tennessee, and it's been a little bit since we had Adam on the podcast. Uh, Adam, how you doing? Did you have a good weekend? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. This is one of those times of the year uh, where I connect with other beat writer buddies of mine and say, how's your year going? And <laughs> they say it's lightening up right now. And I say mine is uh, <laughs> it's thickening up. Right, uh, right. Yeah, spring football and then some basketball transfers, offseason moves. And then, you know, most schools, baseball, it's it's not necessarily dead, but you can just kind of touch base with it and then move away for a couple weeks. Vandy, obviously, there's as much interest in baseball or more interest in baseball than there is uh, football and basketball. So this is kind of the busiest time of the year for me. Yeah. Now, were you in Knoxville this past weekend? I was not. Our UT rider uh, covered it from there, and then I covered it from from here, from home. And I've actually done most Vandy baseball games via TV and Zoom this year just because – I mean, I, I, I went to the Georgia series. Mm-hmm. Um, but since you can only do post-game interviews via Zoom, there isn't as much of a reason to go. Yeah, uh, but I'll, I'll go to more as, as it gets warmer. It's also – that you know the way that they do it they've done it so far this year is that you sit at a table outdoors and so in february march you know when it's like 40 <laughs> degrees or it's raining you know sitting out there with a laptop doesn't make a whole lot of sense no, uh, I, but guess, no I i didn't go to ut beer ut guy covered it there and i covered it from here i guess rex road uh it w- was able to to find uh, s- some good uh, some good quotes there and uh you know you i thought it was hilarious you were not there but you got a, quite the quote from uh, from Coach Corbin after the game that got <laughs> quite the uh, the recognition. Uh, walk us through that because I know I'm, I'm sure you know you were interested in asking that as the game's going on. The atmosphere was unreal, uh, and Corbs he seemed a little bit jealous, like, like he was loving it. Um, and they haven't really played; they played at LSU, but Tennessee was way was was a lot more energetic than LSU. Um, walk us through that, and, and do you think he prompted this move, this elevation up to forty percent at Hawkins Field, or do you think that was already probably in in the in the cards? Uh, it, I'll answer the last one first. Uh, it was already done. Uh, Metro okay. Health in Nashville had already uh, made that decision on Friday that outdoor venues could move to forty percent. Vanderbilt had already submitted a request to get that approved by Metro to do that. So I think the announcement was probably going to come like Monday or Tuesday that they were going to open it up a little bit more. Tim Corbin, I know, would have known that. Yeah, so, so did he, he knew that, right? Yeah, so there's, there's a little bit of a political savvy move there. And <laughs> if you know something good is about to happen, you know. So, because it wasn't, it, he wasn't ripping on Tennessee. You know, knowing, no, Cor- no. knowing Corbs, he's not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he's, He's basically saying we got to open, you know, he, he was essentially hinting that I think we need to open it up more. And then they opened it up more and everybody said, look at what Tim Corbin did. Well, they were going to open it up <laughs> a little bit anyway. Um, but it was um, it wasn't really prompted by a question. And I don't even remember who asked that question. I asked a couple, four or five people ask questions. And, you know, somebody, I think, asked about the challenge. It's a big win. And, you know, UT was ranked number three going into the game and it was just a baseball question and he went right into the environment and yeah one thing you know about Tim Corbin he doesn't say anything by accident no no. he clearly wanted to get that across 
And as soon as I posted the, you know, as soon as I heard the quote, COVID does not exist in Knoxville, I thought, oh, I'm dropping everything that I'm writing about baseball. That's, 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 that's a quote built for Twitter, right? There. That's right. That's right. And so I put out the short quote. Then I thought it was important to put out the full quote for some more context. And then I put up the story. And, um, you know, I mean, it's one of those things. It's the political times that we're in and a lot of division over COVID, a lot of polarization. As soon as I put that quote up, you instantly saw two sides of that argument claim that as their own. Right. So I immediately saw people say, yeah, Corbs, tell them they're dumb in Knoxville. They don't socially distance. They're all going to die. And then I saw other people quote tweeting it saying, tell them, Corbs, we need to open up here in Nashville, just like Knoxville is, you know. And so everybody saw their own narrative in there. So I text Corbs um, on the bus ride back to Nashville. And I said, you know, if you don't want to clarify this or get into any more into it, I understand your team just won a really big series. And I've written about that too. But if you want to make this a little clearer, and he, he texts some things to me, which I included in the updated story. Um, which said it wasn't sarcasm. It was, it was a compliment. I mean, he, it wasn't as much of a commentary about COVID. I mean, I know that was in the quote. It mm -hmm. certainly is because that's why things are limited, but it was more about his desire to have his players play in a big time atmosphere, which is one of the reasons you come to Vanderbilt in the SEC. And so yeah. when he looks at Mississippi state and it sees it, that place packed and oh. Tennessee's got a great atmosphere um he has that's been sold to players coming in and and think about this a big portion of this team are freshmen and sophomores and because of the pandemic this season and the pandemic canceling almost all last season before they even got to sec play those first and second year players have actually never played in front of a big crowd at yeah. Hawkins Field. yeah jack lighter is going to go to the major league draft soon and possibly will never play in front of a sellout crowd there. Mm -hmm. So that's what he's wanting. That was part of that comment. Right. You kind of touched on what I was uh, going to ask there with the narrative and Twitter kind of ran with it and took your article, which just gave Tim Corbin's quote and kind of ran with it and created completely different narratives on either side that weren't really in that quote to begin with. But I do want to move on to the actual on on the field play this weekend. But before that, I'm not saying you have any inside information on the Nashville Health Department, but likely what Corbin is pretty fed up with is the fact you can walk down the road and Broadway is pretty much bars are open yep. until 3 a.m. I mean, there are lines up and down the streets. It looks like a normal Friday night and then outdoor venues just got extended out to 40 percent capacity. So. Where do you see the capacity restrictions going and how quickly do you think it's going to move now that the COVID vaccine seems to be rolling out pretty effectively? I've actually been communicating with Metro Health uh, past oh. couple of days. Oh. To, so he does have inside information. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to dig into that a little bit, I haven't gotten the answers that I'm hoping for. So I would say I would say stay tuned to Tennessean.com hopefully this week and I'll have some of that because it's hard to project Metro also doesn't want to get, you know, they've got the goal of 50% vaccinated people and people at least with one dose of the vaccine. They've got that goal for 50% of the population, adult population by May. So what does that mean in terms of outdoor venues? We're at like 38, 39% right now in Nashville of vaccinated people and 40% outdoor venues. So 
does that translate to if you get 50% vaccinated, you get 50% at outdoor venues? I mean, maybe, you know, and if you keep that up, maybe you get to herd immunity at 78 or 80% and then it's fully open. These are just, I'm speculating there a little bit, but if you just kind of follow the guidelines that they've been so far, I'm trying to get some answers from uh, Metro Health to give them a little bit of a projection. We'll see if they do that. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, there's some inconsistencies to it. It's hard to, it's hard to enforce that. I mean, and you have so many different sides of this. I'm, I'm fully vaccinated. I've had my second, uh, my second dose. And I, I, I mean, I, I was on Broadway the other day. I, there was a, there's, there's some media members that, that I know that posted a photo of Broadway with a whole lot of people on it and said, you know, look at all these knuckleheads or whatever. Um, and I looked closely at the photo and I thought, I wonder if I'm in there somewhere. Um, so I'm fully vaccinated and I've been out and about. I follow whatever rules and guidelines are out there and I wear a mask where that's, that's the guidelines. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people have been vaccinated. They're out and about. Um, and, and the rest you know, are at risk as much as they choose to be if uh, potential risk. And, uh, and, you know, maybe that sways Metro Health to open up a little bit more. I mean, Knoxville has, Knoxville has protocols right now, too. It's just I think they were a little more lax. In, yeah, they in, were a lot more laxed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot more. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, Adam, I want to actually keep on with that because, I mean, these SEC atmospheres have been Mississippi State's 100 percent, Ole Miss 100 percent. Tennessee, that really felt normal. It was so refreshing to watch that, even on TV. You know, I don't even, th- I mean, it was probably 100 times better if you were actually there, but on TV, you could tell, you could feel the buzz. How much of a difference do you think maybe, you know, a full capacity at Hawkins Field would make? Now, I don't, I know Tim Corbin probably isn't of the belief that, hey, we, we're going to have this rowdy crowd. It's going to make a difference in the game. But how much do you think that might make, it could make a difference? Because at these parks, they're making a difference. Uh, but I don't know if you can necessarily say the same about Hawkinsville just because of the um, the size and the general atmosphere. Well, I would say if you ever do get a full crowd this season, that full crowd will be a, a little bit louder than a normal full crowd would be because yeah. there is a lot of pinned up, uh, you know, desire to go see uh, to go see games. I think you would see that. Um it makes some difference. I mean, in a funny way, I think it made a difference for Vandy as much as UT in that third game. I think it made a lot of difference for, for Tennessee in game two. There was a lot of motion in that. Um, you know, Evan Russell, three home runs and the oh grand slam gosh. and all that. And that place exploded. Um, and, you know, they were Tennessee in that game was the team trying to prove that they belong uh, in that series. Vanderbilt was the one defending it's right to be the number one team in the state and in the, you know, at least the last few years in, in college baseball in general. So Tennessee was the one that needed a motion. I do think it backfired a little bit because Vandy's a little more stoic normally. They get right. that from Corbin. UT is a whole lot more emotional, kind of brash. They get that from their coach, Vitello. And I won't say that it necessarily flipped, but I do think – you saw Vandy respond with emotion because of that crowd. So it helped in in that standpoint. Now, if you've got that at Hawkins Field, it certainly will will make a difference. I think it could intimidate intimidate some visiting 
teams or at least let them know that they're in a, in a road game because you're not getting that really from Hawkins Field that much right now. And it could help some with uh, particular players. Kumar Rocker loves to pitch. He with, loves those atmospheres. Yeah. He, he really loves, he, you know, he's mm-hmm. uh reminds me a little bit of the demeanor of Carson Fulmer back a few years ago where there's just this competitive bulldog. Yeah, he kinda, eats it up. Yes. Uh, you don't get that as much with Ladder. I think he's a little more of a Walker Bueller if you want to. Mm-hmm if you want to make that comparison, but it, it, it'll certainly make a difference. I think where you needed to make a difference is if Vandy is the host of the regional and, and potentially the super regional, because you need that home crowd there yeah. for those types of games. Yeah. They're going to be on edge. Oh, uh, I'll, I'll go oh. ahead here. <laughs> <laughs> My oh, bad there. Um, so you kind of touched on the Evan Russell in, in game two, but it was kind of an up and down series for Vanderbilt and some players performed exceptionally. Um, there, are there any guys or any position groups or anything in particular that you come out of this series against a top five opponent and say, this can, is likely a concern moving forward. Uh, concern the third pitcher, uh, the number yeah. three starter, um, which translates a little bit to bullpen. Um, you know, they're, uh, you know, we knew that we knew the number three starter would could potentially be an issue anyway. And some of that's just comparative. I mean, Kumar Rocker and Jack Ladder are, you know, the best duo in college baseball, maybe the best and second best pitchers in college baseball, whichever you, way you want to do that. So it you you almost look at that in a comparative nature and you say the number three starter is not you know, a first round pick. So there, there's going to be some at least potential concern there. You know, Thomas Schultz was was okay in that spot. He was up and down. Um, Patrick Riley has been the guy the last two weeks. Um, he hasn't been bad. It's just, you know, he's only given them three innings each time and they can't have that. They need a guy that can go, you know, five, um, especially, uh, you know, so they don't have to dig too much into their bullpen um, in that last, in that rubber game, which will, will become harder and harder as they go on because they get some pretty tough opponents coming up. Um, you know, uh, Sam Laboki is out for a while with an injury. He's, and he may be out. He could be out the season. We don't know. It's cer- yeah. It certainly looks like it'll be multiple weeks. Um, Ethan Smith has been out with COVID. He eventually will come back, but he's another option there. Um, the third starter in the bullpen could get back to close to full strength. But they're so far from it now that I think they're, you know, you almost just want to tread water in that third game and maybe hope that you're back to back to where you need to be by the time you get to the end of the regular season. And I, I think that's doable. Um, you know, as, as far as the lineup goes, there are good hitters in this lineup, I think, because they're so young. And even the older ones are inexperienced. I mean, you didn't have that many games last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got juniors that are kind of inexperienced. You get a little more inconsistency, so you don't know necessarily who to count on. You know, I think Carter Young is a star right now, and he's going to be even more of a star. Um, you know, Dominic Keegan, you can count on. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the most exciting player on that team right now is Enrique Bradfield, um, aside from the, the you know, rocker and ladder. And I'm, I'm working on a, a story about Bradfield. And I mean, anybody, even if you didn't know much about baseball, you could look at that game and say he changed the game just by getting on first base. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the, that's going to be the same the, the rest of the year. They're going to utilize him more and more, but 
it, it's funny that we find concerns and you guys are asking the same question that I asked. What are the concerns with this team? And they just had their biggest wins, two wins of the year, their biggest series win of the year. They're number two in the country. They look really, really good. Um, and it's almost our human nature now after seeing Bandy this many years to say, what's wrong? Because like 99 things are right. So what's what's the one wrong thing? And I yeah. think that's, that's somewhat natural, though. Yeah, if you were to nitpick, I agree. You know, the game three starter, Patrick Riley, pitched a lot better than he did against Georgia. Um, and typically you see that from a young guy at Vanderbilt. He takes time to develop. Uh, but another young guy that, uh, you know, he's he's kind of bursted onto the scene a little bit. He's got nine home runs, Carter Young. Uh, is looking a lot like Dansby Swanson, making barehanded plays. That play was unbelievable. He made uh, late in game three, and he's 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 a great hitter. How would you compare him and Dansby Swanson? Uh, do you think they're comparable, or, or uh, do you see maybe some differences there? Yeah, they're they're comp- uh, they're comparable. Um, you know, uh, I mean, Carter's uh, Carter's a switch hitter. That's obviously right. different. Um, both of them very good defensively. I think both of them first identified as very good uh, defensive shortstops, mm-hmm. athletic shortstops. You know, Dansby had a number of kind of highlight plays at shortstop. I think you're seeing more and more of that at a Carter Young now. Um, guys that kind of hold the personality of the team. That's that's similar with both of those guys. Um, you know, I, I saw something in, I think it was a TV broadcast about two or three series ago where they said Carter Young doesn't have the, power that Dansby had um I would challenge that because yeah yeah, I mean Dansby did get a a good deal of power he got it what we think of his second year because he was injured his first year Mm -hmm. um but he got it as a junior Mm -hmm. Carter Young is getting his power as a sophomore so I think to that extent they're 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 very comparable you know it's a funny thing I think with Vandy that's different than a lot of the places is that uh, most of the places when you have a guy that's like a number one draft pick and that sort of thing, you say, well, hold on, let's not say this guy is like that guy, you know, that it's, you can't make that comparison and put, put him on that pedestal like that with Vandy. We're kind of used to that now. It's yeah. easy. To, it's a lot easier to say, you know, well, Walker Bueller is, you know, the next Sonny Gray and Sonny Gray was the next David Price and, and Kumar Rocker and Lauder and all that. It's, I think it's very normal to say Carter Young is comparable to Dansby Swanson because, you know, just by just by how Vandy is built, you're going to have uh, that type of player every couple of years. And I think Carter Young's ever been of that. I mean, I'll be interested to see where, where Carter Young is in the draft projections next year. I mean, I think he'll be a first-round guy. Um, is he, you know, is he just a first-round guy or is he a top 10, top five guy? Um, um I'll, I'll be curious to see that, but I, I think we can say right now that he's he's comparable to Dansby Swanson at the same point of his career. I don't think that's a stretch at all. Yeah, Adam, I, I think we do want to move to something that got kind of overshadowed this weekend uh, by the Vanderbilt-Tennessee series, but the spring game was Saturday. Um, what are your first impressions? I don't know how much you got a chance to, to watch that with that uh, baseball series going on, but what are what are some of your first impressions of this team and, and team one for Clark Lee and staff? Yeah, I, I covered it. I was there uh, and I interviewed uh, Clark Lee afterward with everybody else. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm one of these that doesn't believe a whole lot in what you see in a spring game anyway. Um, there's 
I mean, I've covered college football for about 20 years and every team I've ever seen has a, has a, you know, a spring star. And basically that means that's the guy that will have led the team and blah, blah, blah in the spring game. And that's the highlight of his career and his bio. There's like a long list of those guys. I'm hoping for Will Shepard's sake, who had three touchdowns in that game, that he's not that guy. Um, I don't think he'll be, but we'll, we'll see. Um, things are very vanilla. Um, but even within that and seeing some more of the spring, uh, I have no reason to believe that that defense is going to be good. Um, you know, the – uh, and that would be my major concern. I think that should be Clark Lee's concern. He's a defensive guy. He's a Notre Dame defensive coordinator before this. And, you know, he said that there, uh, that there were contexts that needed to be considered and circumstance that needed to be considered why the defense was so terrible. And they were bad in the spring game. I mean, Jeremy Musa, the third-string quarterback that runs a 40 equal to mine, probably. He was running all over. A 30-yard touchdown run. I mean, <laughs> you know. I mean, and even if that was against mostly freshmen, I, I don't care, you know, that they couldn't stop the run. They got, they got blistered by the pass a number of times. They didn't get stops. They got no turnovers in like a three hour or two hour game. Um, so I've got some, you know, just personnel wise, I think there's, there's some issues there. You know, they lost Dawa Dangbo and Andre Mintz. That was their best two pass rushers. I don't know that I see somebody on that defense yet that can replace them. Um, they've, They've struggled at linebacker for years, and I don't know that there's a good replacement there at linebacker to be the guy, and they didn't defend the pass well last year, and they get a number of guys back in the secondary, but again, I didn't see anything in the spring game that told me that they're going to defend the pass well. You know, I was told the second inter-squad scrimmage, which I did not see, the defense played fairly well, but I saw two of the scrimmages, the first one and this spring game, and both of those um, – you know, the offense just ran over the front seven running the ball. And that's without Keon Henry Brooks, the leading rusher who has jumped in the portal. So you've got backup running backs and a transfer running back, um, you know, averaging like six, eight yards carry on you. That That's an enormous issue, I think, on defense. Uh, on the offensive side, uh, Ken Seals is good. Quarterbacks, I think both of them um, have a lot of potential. Offensive line is going to be better than last year because they're like four guys out last year because of COVID and they're all back. <laughs> yeah. And they're back. So offensive line will probably be like a B minus top offensive line running back. will have depth issues, but Ramon Davis, the temple transfer, if he's, if he's eligible, um, he, he should help you there. They've still got depth issues though at that position. Uh, Wide receiver could be good. I think it's going to be interesting to see where Clark Lee goes with this because he wants to run the ball. He wants to establish the run. He wants to be able to go to the running game in the second half. He wants what I think would be more low-scoring type games. And But if you look at them on offense, they got a good quarterback. I think they have pretty good receivers. And the quarterback is most comfortable in a tempo offense. So that doesn't align with what he wants to do. He's going to have to have to balance that out during the season. Yeah, Adam, you touched on touched on it in your uh, answer to that there. But I, well, I was at that second scrimmage, and you could not have seen more of a role reversal from that spring game. I mean, the defense was absolutely dominant, and I think the offense was being set up in positions to score, like inside the twenty. 
20 and 30 and such and they only got in the end zone twice the entire time so it, it, it's uh pretty crazy but in the spring like you mentioned you can't take too much because one side's got to lose one side's got to look bad and one side's got to right. look good so you can't really win without losing right but Vanderbilt won so that, that's the good thing um <laughs> Adam I, I want to get to Clark Lee you've covered him uh for a good what month or two now um you know you're getting into spring ball I'm sure he's just an I mean, I would love to be just in those Zoom conferences, just watching him speak and, and just the way he, you know, has kind of morphed into this role as a head coach at his alma mater. What have you learned from him? And, and maybe what have you seen him um, kind of learn from the job and kind of uh, how he's grown uh, here and, and, uh, and just asking him questions and, and covering him? Well, I mean, he- you know, everything that we're judging or most things we're judging Clark Lee on right now is without coaching games as a head coach. So it's so much preliminary. I mean, it's absolutely accurate to say he sounds like Tim Corbin. He talks like Tim Corbin. I think he manages his program so far like Tim Corbin, um, which is a good thing. But he's not Tim Corbin and this isn't baseball. So that yeah. comparison needs to go to a certain extent, and it has. It, it doesn't need to go any farther than that. Um, he's a, you know, a defensive coordinator at a very good program who's never been a head coach. So, you know, and I've had people email me say, well, this is Derek Mason part two because of what I just said. Well, no, that means he had the same position previously in the same situation, but it's not that they, they're not the same guy. Um so, you know, we can we can kind of link him to different people and try to judge him on that. Um, we're just not going to know. And, you know, I know people hate to hear this. Um, they've been dealing with this in Knoxville for a long time that you say, hey, new coach, you got to give him time. And then, you know, the fan base says, well, we gave the last guy time and last guy time and last guy time. Um, but it's going to take time. Uh, Derek Mason's uh, tenure did not leave a ton of talent. I mean, if there's a lot of talent on the team, Derek Mason would still be the coach. Um, it's a team that's coming off an 0-9 season. Um, and even before that, this is a team that in a good year would go 6-6. Six and six. So um, people are going to have to be somewhat patient. Uh, I think the things to look for is if they can have sort of a culture change. And I think if they can have a sense of organization and focus – um, I do think at times Derek struggled with that. Um, he didn't have it early in his tenure because he had a lot to learn to be a hit, uh, about being a head coach, and he admitted that after you know a couple three years. And then once he kind of figured it out, it was kind of hard to put the pieces back together. I do think Clark Lee comes in with a, a definite idea of how he he wants his program to be run, what he expects out of his staff, and and those sort of things. So if you can get a culture change. Um, in year one, I, I think that's a pretty positive step. I don't necessarily think that wins are going to come, but that culture change could equal wins in year two or year year three. I mean, you know, Derek Mason didn't get to play non-conference games his last year. Um, Clark Lee will. So ETSU, Colorado State, Stanford, and UConn. Those are the four non-conference games. Um, I think Van go three and one in there. Let's say they lose to Stanford, they win the other three. You're three, three and one in non-conference. Maybe he can steal a conference game, and they're you're, you're four and eight. Is that good? No, it's better than zero and nine. And four and eight can lead to six and six the next year. 
And I think that's how people need to look at it. Look for the culture changes. Don't necessarily look for a whole lot more wins. Four and eight and you beat Tennessee. I know a lot of Vandy fans that'll be happy with that. And then, you know, you keep going. Like you said, he, we, we I think a lot of people believe he's going to be here for a while. So, uh, you know, there's not really, a, I guess, a rush on this. But, Adam, we are running out of time. I do want to end it here with a little bit of basketball. Uh, you mentioned Clark Lee building a culture. Seems like Jerry Stackhouse is still trying to do that with his team. Uh, he did pick up a few transfers. They got Liam Robbins from Minnesota, Rodney Chapman from Dayton, and then Taryn Frank from, uh, from TCU. These two guys, uh, Chapman and Robbins, I think could make a difference next year. Uh, Taryn Frank was a guy Stack recruited. Uh, but looking at these pickups, how much of an impact do you think they could have? And, and how, um, how different do you think his roster is going to look next year? Yeah, I mean, you're almost uh, – I hope this isn't – I mean, I want kids, to players to find where they fit and have some power in that. But I, I don't want every team to look like Kentucky every year where you have to get the the flip card and learn everybody's name and then like six months later it's all different names we got to make it easy on adam here that's that's (laughs) That's right that's right it's about me it's about me (laughs) um six players have left if you include scotty pippen who could technically still come back if he doesn't hire an agent six players have left five players are coming in counting the two signees so the the team will look uh, i mean a lot different um you know, are they getting pluses or minuses out of that? I mean, losing Pippen, that's a big minus. But this team could be this team could be competitive. Um, you know, a COVID year was just a weird year for everybody, so it's kind of hard to to judge that. But yeah, I mean, Chapman, I think he'll he's a combo guard. I think he'll probably run point guard if Pippen is not back. Um, he's a guy that started a ton of games at Dayton with Chattanooga starter before that. Um, he, he'll be a steady SEC point guard. He's not going to give you a ton of numbers, but a steady point guard. Um, Robinson in the post is a seven-footer, led the Big Ten in blocks this past year. Um, he'll be a double-digit scorer. So you got a, you got a, you got a steady point guard. You've got a big um, – the TCU transfer, I think, I think he'll take time. He'll take a couple of years. But you've got Dylan DeSue back and Jordan Wright. Jordan Wright's solid and he's experienced. Dylan DeSue is a double-double type guy who could be an NBA prospect in the future. So, you know, I think it comes down to if you can make threes and if you can defend. Um, Stackhouse has really pushed a defensive identity, and, and he, he thinks his guys can shoot the three. And they were streaky last year, but a lot of those, a lot of those shooters will be a year older this year. So you've got – you need them to make shots. And the problem with the defensive identity, I think it was coached well this past year, but a lot of those players are gone. So you've got to restart the clock in teaching your defense. So I think they could suffer from that. The non-conference is going to be very, very important to them this year because they've got to kind of become a cohesive unit with all the new parts and be able to find out what their identity is. But I, I do like the lineup. They have a big, they have a steady point guard. They potentially have shooters and they have a, a potential star in Dessue. So they're, they're balanced at least. Yeah, Will and I have talked about it a lot. Stack's going to have his guys. I think the belief is that these are all his guys, and we're going to have to see what he can do. Is There's really no more excuses at this point. So, um, Adam, thanks a lot again. Uh, this was fun. We'll, we'll uh, again, catch up uh, throughout, throughout the season, uh, especially baseball season. It's going to be a fun finish, uh, especially covering this team. Uh, maybe get you over to the Hawk uh, this weekend. Uh, but, Adam, thanks again for joining. All right, guys. Good to be on.